Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. In 1946, a brand new translation of the New Testament was published. It was called the Revised Standard Version. And this was a very significant event in the history of the English Bible. Because the previously unrevised authorized version had been around for a long time. I mean, a very long time. That Bible, better known as the King James Version, was first published in 1611. So, for 335 years, people had only heard one translation of the Bible. It was quite a shock for some people to hear familiar verses translated in new ways. And one particular verse was especially shocking. I just read it. In the Revised Standard Version, it was translated like this. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? In this passage, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, just before his death. He is apparently describing to them what it is that will await them after they die. So the promise seems to be that in heaven they will get to have rooms in God's house. That sounds nice enough. Why would anyone have any trouble with that translation? Well, the problem was that they were used to a somewhat different translation in the King James Version. In the King James, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. And now you see why people got upset. It seemed as if this new translation of the Bible was ripping them off. The King James Version promised them a mansion, and now this newfangled Bible was downgrading them to a mere room. I don't think so. And so, one of the big complaints against the new translation was, I want my mansion. It was all a misunderstanding. What the original Greek text of the Gospel of John says is basically what it says in the Revised Standard Version. In my Father's house are many rooms, or dwelling places. But... Actually, the old King James Version hadn't been wrong. At least, not when it was first published, over 400 years ago. Over 400 years ago, the English word mansion didn't mean the same thing that it means today. 
Back then, when somebody said that they lived in a mansion, people didn't imagine the homes of rich people like, to take an example from the 1940s, Henry Ford or Andrew Carnegie. They didn't imagine the Beverly Hillbillies. Back when the King James Version was published, a mansion just meant a place where you stayed. It often referred to a room in an inn, or a place where you were staying in someone else's house. Four hundred years ago, that was an excellent translation of the original Greek word. So it wasn't that the Bible had changed. It wasn't that the promises of Jesus had somehow been reduced. It was just that the English language had changed. So that is one misunderstanding that people have had with this verse. But there is another, deeper misunderstanding that is also there that I think we need to address. Whether they're thinking of a room or a mansion, there is a bigger fundamental assumption that people bring to this passage. They assume that it's all about what they get in heaven. It is taken as a description of the accommodations, even of the possessions that they will have in the afterlife. And I just want to underline that that is absolutely not what is being described for us in this passage. I do not believe that Jesus, or anyone else in the New Testament for that matter, ever gave us a description or list of what we would get in heaven. I don't think they ever described it at all. And they didn't for one fundamental reason. Whatever it is waiting for us on the other side of death absolutely defies all human description. We've never been there. And we don't have the language to describe it. The best we can do is offer a few metaphors. The best we can do is tell a story about what it is like. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage. He's not telling you what you get. He's telling you a story. And the story that he is telling would have been familiar to everyone who was listening to him or reading this gospel in the first century. Because it was based on something that was essential to their culture. Their imaginations would have filled in the details of the story with no trouble. But we are not a part of that culture. So it is harder for us to fill in those details and understand the richness of the story he is telling. So, for us to appreciate what is really going on, we have to add those details. So, allow me to assist you. This is Retelling the Bible.
Episode 7.10 In My Father's House The young man was walking away from his family home. His father was a wealthy man who owned a fine farm and house in the countryside. He knew that it would all be his one day, and he would look forward to doing his best to take care of it. But in the meantime, he wanted to experience the world apart from his family and outside of the farm and discover who he himself was. And so he was heading for the city, that famous Mecca for all those who want to find some anonymity. As he came into the city, therefore, he did not tell anyone who he was. He certainly did not flaunt any of his wealth. He just went and found some simple rooms to stay in. He found what work he could to sustain himself. And he went about living in the city and experiencing its people. And it was while he was there that he met and became rather enchanted with a young woman named Miriam. She was a simple girl, hard-working and kind. She kept a booth in the city marketplace for her father. Over several weeks he had interactions with her as he bartered for some fruit and other things. He found himself finding reasons to spend more and more time in the marketplace and especially hanging around her booth. He was smitten. She was smart, clever, and had a killer sense of humor. He just had to find out more about this enchanting woman. And so he started to ask around. He found out that she came from a poor family but one that was highly respected and honored in the community. He decided to approach her parents. Respecting all of the customs and expectations of society, he wanted to ask them if he could have their permission to speak to their daughter. To them, he revealed his family his name and the resources that he could claim. But he asked them not to say anything of that to her. He had this odd idea that she should be free to choose for herself whether or not she wanted to spend time with him. He didn't want her to be influenced by his name or wealth. The parents thought his ideas to be odd, to say the least. But they told him that he had their permission 
So he went to her, and spoke of his love. And, to his own wonder and amazement, he discovered that she felt much the same. They entered into a period of time together of heady love. They continually found ways to talk together and spend time together. Always he was careful not to act in any way that might put her virtue or modesty in question. But it became plain to all who saw them that theirs was a relationship that was not to be denied. Love matches were not common in those days. The normal practice was for marriage to be something worked out between families, with the actual couple's feelings on the matter being seen as a question of little importance. Love marriages could sometimes be frowned upon just because they were unique, but they could happen. It was just that they were so rare that it wasn't quite clear to the young man even how he was supposed to raise the question. As he came to the next step, therefore the young man didn't really know how he ought to speak to her. They met together in the public square. They gazed lovingly at one another for a while before he finally found the courage to speak of his plans. My love, he said abruptly, I'm, I'm leaving. I have to go out of the city. In his nervousness and fear, he had not paused to think about how she might respond to such words. He did not realize how they might have sounded to her. Immediately her eyes filled with tears. He saw such dismay upon her face. She was clearly thinking that he had chosen to dump her. No! No! he cried out. That's not it at all. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But then he felt lost. Because he could not imagine how he could put into words all that he was feeling and what he wanted to say. And so he paused for a moment, took a deep breath, and decided that it would be best to explain to her, step by step, what it was that he was planning to do. In my father's house, there are many rooms. I, I know I haven't told this to you before. I haven't said it, but yes, I do come from an honored family and a prosperous house. That's what I mean when I tell you that I have to go now. I'm going there, to my father's house. And if I go there, well, it's, it's only so that I can prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And when she heard that, she finally understood and she smiled and sent him off with all of her love. And so the young man went off to his father's house. After a few days journey, he arrived and greeted his parents joyfully. He went in and over a welcoming meal, he told them everything about the time he had spent in the city and especially about the incredible woman that he had met there. So lovingly and joyfully did he describe her that his parents simply could not wait to meet this extraordinary woman. But first, the man had some work to do. His father's house was built around a central courtyard. On one side was the main entrance and the room where his father carried out his business. On another, there were kitchens and storage. Over there was a place for welcoming guests with lavish couches for reclining while dining. But there were also a number of private chambers. It was a large and extended family who lived here. Not just his parents and siblings. There were his grandmother, his uncles and aunts, and many cousins as well. And they all had their own spaces for sleeping and other private matters. His task was to prepare a place among those chambers for himself and his bride so that they could join his father's household. He worked hard at it for many days, expanding the space, making it warm and welcoming. He filled it with mementos that reminded him, and he hoped would remind her, of the many discussions they had had together in the marketplace. He put in windows to fill the room with light, and cabinets in which she would store her happiest memories. Finally, it was all ready. And so he went and said to his father, Now I will go to find my bride, and I will bring her here, and she will make her home in the heart of our family. A few days later, the father looked out of his front door and was pleased to see his son coming down the walk. He was accompanied by his best friends who had come to wish him well. And at his side was a beautiful young woman with whom he would share 
a wonderful life. I happen to believe that there is something that awaits us on the other side of death. But I'll tell you something that I don't think about it. I don't tend to imagine it in terms of people sitting around on clouds or playing harps. Nor do I think that we're all going to join in some never-ending chorus singing the praises of God. I don't think that the streets will be paved with gold. I mean, who would want to drive on a street paved with gold? And no, I don't think that we get a mansion, or even a room. For that matter, I do not think of an afterlife in terms of some people burning in eternal conscious torment. Those are all words or images that you can find in the Bible. Except for the eternal conscious torment. I don't believe that's there. Oh, and that one about clouds and harps. That just comes from a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial, I think. But I do not believe that any of those images are meant to be taken literally. Certainly not to demonstrate to us what such an existence actually is. They are meant to give us some vague sense of what that existence is like. When Jesus told his disciples of the rooms in his father's house, he wasn't giving the blueprints of heaven. He wasn't showing us a floor plan. He wasn't telling them what they'd get. He was telling them a love story using elements that were an essential feature of marriage in that world at that time. For them, marriages did not include things like giving rings or ceremonies before ministers or justices of the peace. The essential ritual of a marriage involved taking your wife to live in a room in your father's house that you had prepared to share with her. Jesus wasn't saying what the afterlife was. He was telling a story. Like I say, I believe in an afterlife. Maybe you don't. That's fine. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. But I'll just say that if there is something out there, as far as I'm concerned, it is going to take place in a plane of existence far beyond our present understanding. The way I actually think of it, at least, it probably has more to do with participating in a great collective consciousness than it has to do with any rooms or streets or clouds. But that is just the best that my imagination can do. Whatever it is, or isn't, 
We simply don't have the language to express it. And so we're left with stories and images and metaphors. But man, they are some pretty amazing stories. And with this particular story about the rooms in his father's house, what I suspect that Jesus was saying more than anything else was that the fundamental nature of this existence that we can scarcely imagine is love, pure, unfailing love. I believe that he was saying that when everything else has been destroyed, love remains. And love is enough. And I guess I would say that is the primary reason why I do believe there is something beyond this life. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. And do leave a review on your podcast provider to help other people find and appreciate this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ah Da by Kevin MacLeod. And the mood music for this episode was Journey to Anywhere by Sasha End. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at filmmusic.io. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible and on the Facebook page Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks again to my awesome Patreon supporters who back this podcast. If you'd like to join them or discover the benefits they receive, go to patreon.com slash retellingthebible. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.